this podcast, I'm going to explain Sigmund Freud's structure of personality, or the three parts of personality according to Sigmund Freud, the great Sigmund Freud from Austria. He was a physician, actually, so even though he's one of the most well-known names in the field of psychology, he was not a psychologist, but a medical doctor treating patients. Okay? And uh, I want to focus our attention on the structure of our personalities, where oftentimes you'll find this topic covered in a chapter or a course called Personality Theories. And what is a personality? A personality actually has to do with how we think, feel, and behave. So when you study a chapter or a course in Personality Theories, you're getting the biggest names in the psychology field to help us understand what makes human beings do, think, and feel, okay? So what it means to be human, basically. So there's a lot of philosophy behind it, whether a personality theorist believes human beings are basically good or basically evil or, you know, is our personality made up of uh, a dozen traits or so, okay? So it all depends on the approach. Uh, a theorist wants to use to understand personality. Okay, so let's talk about what Freud believed in in terms of how our personality is structured. And according to Freud, he believed that our mind has different layers of consciousness. And so the very top layer is called the conscious level. And that's when you're awake, like right now, I hope. And you're able to sense things. You can see, feel, touch, and you know how you're thinking and feeling right now. That's your conscious level or your conscious mind. So if we think about this as an elevator and you take the elevator going down, then the next level, not too far down, is called the pre-conscious level. Some textbooks actually may or may not cover this part. They may just cover the conscious and unconscious, but let me talk about this level. This level, for example, means that while you're awake and conscious, there are many, many things, memories, for example, information that you have stored away, how you feel about certain people, okay? And it's not right now in your conscious level. So think of it as the shallow end of the pool or just one floor down into the first basement level of the mind. So you might be sitting in a classroom listening to a history lecture. So your mind is all about American history but you also have a lot of knowledge about other subjects like biology, mathematics, and social media, and so forth. So they're not in your conscious level right now, but if someone were to ask you, say, hey, what'd you think about the biology class yesterday? Then immediately you can answer that and bring it into your conscious level. So a lot of information is stored in our pre-conscious, right? It's easily accessible just not on your mind right this second. Okay, so what if I asked you, how do you feel about your parents? So a couple seconds ago, this idea was not in your conscious mind, but you can easily answer, okay, this is what I think about my parents. That's in your pre-conscious. Let's get back into the elevator, push the down button, go many, many floors below ground, and this is what Freud called the unconscious mind. Now, a lot of people, I think, see the word unconscious and just assume, oh, somebody's injured, 
on the ground and they passed out. That's what unconscious means to them. And in our everyday lives, we may use the word subconscious instead. But let's use the traditional word here within psychology and call the unconscious mind. So just kind of get used to it. Now, it doesn't mean the person is unconscious. You could still actually be awake. And the unconscious mind, experiences from the past, including your childhood, may be buried deep down in that lowest level in the elevator. And you do not have easy access to some of those memories. But during your waking life, or sometimes when you're asleep, those things buried deep down, the door opens up and they come out and play themselves out like a Korean drama. Okay? So... Here is some evidence, at least not necessarily empirical evidence, but evidence that Freud saw in terms of the existence of the unconscious mind. So dreaming. We're not awake. Our conscious mind is taking a break. And when we're in deep sleep, dreaming is away for all these pushed away feelings and thoughts that are deep down in the basement to act themselves out again like a drama of sorts. So you're unconscious, you're sleeping. Let's think about other types of evidence of the unconscious mind. Have you ever heard of the term Freudian slips of the tongue? During Halloween, that is actually among psychology students a very common Halloween costume to dress in a slip and then write the word Freud on it, right, as a Freudian slip, like an article of clothing. But actually it means that we have a verbal accident. We say something we did not mean to say. I'm sure we've all done that. But according to Freud, those mistakes are not accidents. Those are what you are really thinking deep down. Okay? So sometimes we may say the wrong name at the wrong moment or say a word that rhymes with another word and it comes out wrong. And, and sometimes we have to excuse ourselves and say, oh, I didn't really mean to say that. Uh, so, for example, maybe there's a classmate that you don't really like and they're bugging you and say, hey, what are you reading there? And you say, well, I'm reading about, you know, parts of the moron. Oops, sorry, I mean parts of the neuron, right? So that's a Freudian slip. And you may think, well, that's just a verbal accident of the brain, but according to Freud, those are not accidents. And sometimes it's not just about speaking, but physical behaviors may act that way too. So in our modern life with smartphones, think about how often you would type something and certain words come out that you did not intend to. Not necessarily because of autocorrect, but just because you typed a whole different word than you were thinking. And that word would have been very inappropriate, right? I wonder if Freud would assume that while your fingers were thinking something, that maybe your unconscious mind, some thoughts and feelings slipped through and your fingers just started typing them without your conscious awareness. And you sent it and you didn't mean to send it and you have to apologize and you're in a doghouse for weeks. Okay, so that is possible. Okay, let's go back to the three layers of the mind. So we have the conscious level at the very top. Take the elevator down one floor. You're at the pre-conscious level. And then you take the elevator maybe 50 more floors and you reach the unconscious mind. Now let's fill in those three levels with three different parts of our personality, according to Freud. They're called the id, spelled I-D, the id, the ego, 
and the superego. Those are the three different parts. Think of it as a triangle, okay? Now, what I think is pretty cool is that this alone, even though there's not empirical evidence to back it up, is a nice framework for any beginning psychology student to interpret a lot of behavior that's out there. You can think of it as a struggle between these three components of our, of our mind, okay? And so let's start with the id. The id is located in our unconscious mind, really deep down, okay? And we all have these at birth, according to Freud, but as a newborn, that's all we have. The id lives on the pleasure principle. That's their rule of living. I just do whatever I want, whatever feels good right now. I cannot wait. And essentially, that's the life of a baby, right? They are hungry, they scream, they're, they need to go, they go, they don't wait, right? That's why they have diapers, okay? So they do whatever feels good. Uh, you, you put a little finger near their mouth, they start sucking on it, right? There's no rhyme or reason for their behavior, it's just pure reflex, and, and that part of us is still there, buried in the unconscious. It's the childlike part of us, animalistic part of us, instinctual part of us that's buried deep in the unconscious mind. So if we had no rules or regulations, all hell would break loose and we would just act out our id, okay? So look at a scene, for example, of a riot, right? Where everybody seems to be going nuts, breaking down store windows, looting, just acting irrationally, just randomly punching people, right? Freud would observe this and say, well, you can see that these are human beings totally controlled by one-third of their personality called the id. Right? There are no restraints. This is exactly acting like grown-up babies is doing whatever you want right now, okay? With no sense of right or wrong. So the phrase immediate gratification that a lot of us use in popular society, this means that this is also an, from Freud. It's basically saying that I need to satisfy myself uh, right now. And if you think about business and commerce and how we buy things, in our everyday lives. Isn't that kind of true? This sense of satisfying the id. If you have high-speed internet, you really cannot go back to a slower speed, right? Um, I kind of dread the day we're going to get 5G, this incredible fast internet, to the point where, you know, our 4G phones will seem so inadequate. I can't believe I have to wait two seconds for a video to load. Oh my gosh, this is suffering. And that is because these businesses are trying to feed into our id to satisfy us right away. Um, Amazon and other online merchants have such fast delivery, even same-day delivery. How insane is that, right? So even if you're just buying a paper clip, you can get it the same day right away, right? That's to satisfy our immediate gratification. And that immediate gratification is kind of hard to turn off once we have it in our everyday society. All right, so again, infants, babies, that's all they are. They're 100% id, controlled by it. They want to eat, poop, scream, and so forth, okay? Now, now let's think about some examples of in our everyday life where the id kind of takes over. Let's say you're in a meeting, and you know normally if you're well under control, even if you're hungry, you sit through that meeting and suffer a little bit, and then when the meeting's over, you run to the vending machine, 
get a bite to eat, right? Now, what if the id took control? It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a meeting. It doesn't matter if you're going to get fired from missing the meeting or leaving right in the middle. You would not say, excuse me. You just get up, leave all your stuff there, storm out of the room, right? You would grab a chair, break the vending machine, smash it into bits, grab the M&Ms, tear it apart, right? It would just be this really ugly scene if we were controlled by the id, right? We just could not wait. I remember when I used to teach in the classroom, and then in the middle of a lecture, you know, someone just gets up and walks out. And I just wonder, oh, okay, uh, maybe they really have to go for whatever reason, okay? And so whenever we act uh, impulsively, and it could be related to violence, you know, this sort of rage that you just, you hate it when the neighbor is mowing their yard at seven in the morning and you want to sleep in. And, and if the id took over, you would just run out there half naked and just jump the person and, and try to start a fight, right? Uh, basically like a zombie. You know, I love zombies, right? So you just start chewing on their face or whatever. <laughs> okay. And so, yeah, so this is basically, it's not a happy scene, okay, when the id takes over um okay so luckily uh for us as human beings for our society to live civilly we have a second part of our ego that develops uh freud might say even early on as an infant as a toddler we develop the ego now the ego does not live by the pleasure principle the ego lives by the reality principle okay and instead of immediate gratification, it believes in delayed gratification. So you have this rage, the id wants to kill your neighbor, but you don't do it. You have that violent thought, and then you put it to rest and you go about your day. Well, Freud might say that the ego pulled back the rage and kept you in control. Now, a lot of students confuse the ego and the superego, which I'll talk about in a second. The ego is basically a leash that says, well, this is not the right time to kill your neighbor. The ego is not saying that killing is wrong. It's just saying that I'm going to hold back your impulse because this is not the right time to do it. Okay? So... What So what is the center that tells us from right or wrong? Well, think about as a young child, when do we start learning right from wrong? Maybe five or six years old. So Freud believed that that's when our superego develops. And the superego is our conscience. It's our morality center. Okay? So we have these three components now. The id, the childlike, animal-like, instinctual part of us that wants to do anything right now, whatever feels good. Okay? And the ego which is trying to mediate between uh, the needs of the superego, saying that, no, you can't do that, you're wrong, you'll feel guilty for the rest of your life. So the feeling of guilt comes from our superego, by the way, when you do something wrong. When, let's say, a spouse cheats on their spouse because, you know, the usual excuse, uh, you know, it just happened, right? That's basically saying the id took over, the ego was not able to hold you back, and now the superego is beating you up for it afterwards, right? Um, so those are the three parts that we're trying to balance in our lives to, you know, ha give in to our urges sometimes, to have fun, to do things that feel good, right? And then at other times, 
uh, do things that we feel are right. Okay, avoid the things that uh, we feel are wrong. That's the superego side. In the meantime, the ego is the one above, sort of, sort of doing the balancing act of trying to uh, balance everything out. So again, whenever uh, you have this internal self-talk, this voice in your head that judges you when you do something good or do something bad, like right after a test, when you do that little dance, if you do it, did it well, right? Where do you think those words are coming from, right? Those words were recorded by our superego of what our guardian and parents have told us when we were young, right? They said, oh, good job, Jack. I can't believe you actually started walking. Well, okay. When I do something good and I, I hear myself saying to myself, hey, good job, Jack. I can't believe you fixed the spare tire by yourself. Then that's the superego giving me that praise, okay? And also criticism. So if you get a lot of criticism, if you're a very self-critical person, Freud would say that that's your superego being very dominant, right? That judging yourself in a very harsh way that you keep doing, you can't do anything right. Okay, so how can we use this idea to explain behavior? What about a serial killer? Someone today we would say they're psychopathic or sociopathic. They have no uh, remorse. They're just a monster that's out on a killing spree. Right? Think about these three parts of the personality. What would Freud possibly say about this person? Well, that perhaps that they have an underdeveloped superego. They never had a chance to learn morality right from wrong. Their ego is weak. They give into these urges of rage to kill, right? And so that would be the id taking over. So if you think about these three elements, it could explain a lot of our behaviors. You know, why are you such a law-abiding student following the rules all the time? Could it be that you have a very strong ego and a very strong superego? But maybe you're a little bit too uptight and never have fun and never let loose. Right? The id is tightly controlled. Okay? Alright. So I think that's enough for today. I hope you have a general idea about the three parts of personality according to Freud and this is Dr. C and I'll talk to you soon. Hey there, thanks for listening to this podcast today. Can you do me a big favor um, just so that this podcast gets heard by more students of psychology and other people interested in the field uh, go to apple Podcasts and put a little rating there if you like and uh, a brief uh, review okay and you can also contact me directly using the links in the description whether it's twitter or email with any suggestions or feedback that you may have to make the show better and uh, if there are any topics you want me to talk about i can add them and if you want to support me by buying me a coffee the methods are listed in the description as well. Again, thanks and have a great day.